For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. I love remote podcasting. It's so much fun. I'm having a blast. It always works great. There's never any problems at all. We haven't been trying to make this work for 18 minutes now. Okay. Um, so I just noticed you have an avocado on your hat. I do. Yes. Why do you have an avocado on your hat? So we farm um, about 1,500 acres of avocados. Um, we produce probably in the range of 7 million pounds a year on average. Um, we have a pretty long family heritage of farming them. So it's, uh, we kind of integrated it in and who doesn't like a good avocado? I had half, half an avocado this morning, but I don't know where it came from. It might be a Mexican avocado. I don't know if it was a California uh, avocado. Where, where you are in Tennessee, most likely, yeah. Most of California fruit stays west of the Rockies. Is that right? It, yeah. So Chipotle is actually one of the bigger um, consumers of California avocados. They love them. Um, other than that, you kind of have to go to a specialty retailer. My girlfriend's listening in the other room and she's probably cringing because I'm butchering it. She works for marketing for a global avocado company. So she would probably know more about where things end up versus me. I just want to get it in the bin, put it on the truck and get a check. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, you're just the mere avocado farmer. You're not in charge of making sure they go where they need to go. Um, no, nope, so you're not. You're, your family is in farming then, and your family's always been in farming. Correct, yes. I'm the sixth generation. Sixth? Sixth, yep. Dude, I couldn't even tell you what my great-grandfather did for work. I have not even a, a, the faintest idea. Yeah, so started... Uh, I couldn't even tell you, five or six. Uh, yeah, started down in the greater Los Angeles, Orange County area, and... Uh, they migrated up to Santa Barbara when land values were, you know, they kind of, everyone thought Santa Barbara was a uh, poor man's land. And now it's kind of obviously gone the extreme opposite of that. But uh, yeah, so here we are just farming on the coast of uh, California, some avocados and lemons and oranges and having a great time doing it and got into some contracting. So you here grew up around the tree, you grew up around the tree farm, as we discussed in the previous recording that didn't record. And you graduate high school at 17 and you start to get into the contracting space. Yeah. So I, uh, I was working for a large scale commercial land clearing outfit 
um, was having a blast doing it. We were running around. Uh, he was based actually out of the San Luis area, um, but he did a lot of work down in L.A., Ventura County, San Luis. So we were traveling up and down the freeway. I was having a blast, learning a lot. Never knew these giant tree-eating machines even existed. I thought, you know, some, mm. you know, one-in-a-million tractor on YouTube. I'd never see it. Ended up working with it. Uh, that was fun. Relationship fell apart. was kind of a hokey operation now that I've lived lived a little bit longer and seen how things should be and how things shouldn't be. So then I left there and went to work for a local general engineering contractor that specialized in uh, bridges and, and pipelines and whatnot for public works projects. And that was a lot of fun. Learned a lot there. And then uh, I was just kind of thinking, I was like, you know, my dream's always been to do my own thing and kind of want to figure out how to do it and just had an opportunity to pick up a job and uh, went from there and it just kind of kept snowballing. So here I am uh, almost 12 years later and still going at it. So what, what, how old are you when you started officially? Um, when I started officially getting my own work, I was about 19 was when I started bidding my own work. Damn dude. So how it was, uh, I had my first business at 15 years old selling firewood to the uh, state campgrounds there on the beach. Dang. Where did the wood come from? So, uh, all the ranches my dad worked on, they would, you know, trim the trees and have all this wood stacked up. They never knew what to do with it. And they were like, if you want it, you can have it. Just get it out of here. Okay, cool. Would you advertise on Craigslist? And that was it. Like with a chainsaw, would you cut it up with a chainsaw or how'd you do that? Did you have equipment? So I had a log splitter. The best part was they had to cut it up so that their field staff could move it and pile it. So it was already cut up into firewood length. All I had to do is split it, throw it in a trailer. And I got to borrow a farm tractor from my dad. And I was 15 years old driving through downtown with a trailer behind a farm tractor and dumping it off at the campgrounds, people's houses, whatever. Imagine so. that. I, I grew up in Arizona and the market for firewood in Arizona is, is, is pretty niche. It's a pretty, pretty small business. <laughs> uh, and it'll be like a bag of firewood, you know, three or four shitty pieces of firewood for twelve ninety nine or whatever at the grocery store. The stuff just sucks. But it's, it's like for Christmas morning when it's 67 degrees outside and everybody's like, ooh, yeah, it's Christmas morning. We need a fire. This is going to be awesome. But other than that, there's no market for firewood. But I was in... Uh, Providence, Rhode Island last week with Jaravan Agro. They're a land clearing contractor and they do 3,000 cords of firewood a year through their firewood operation. And it was absolutely wild. They had a whole firewood machine where they just feed full logs into and it cuts them to length, splits them. It puts it through a trommel to get any of the little bits off and then it spits it out the other end. A loader comes and grabs it, throws it in a pile and there they are. They have endless amounts of firewood. It's a, uh, it's a scale that's, I mean, even where I'm at, you know, Santa Barbara and central coast, it doesn't get that cold over here for very long. So I'm kind of probably more with you that that's wild. How much firewood people go through on the East mm-hmm. coast. Yeah. Well, yeah. Firewood for the beach in Santa Barbara. Everybody's like, Ooh, yeah, we're camping on the beach. Of course we need a fire. Cause what's camping without a fire, yeah. but it's like 78 degrees. We're still in yeah, tank tops and swim trunks at 10 o'clock at night, you know, really need that fire. Yeah. 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 Good grief. Yeah. Um, all right. So you started a, a, a business. You started a contracting business. How uh, did you get equipment when you started? Uh, begged, borrowed, and 
stole without the actual stealing. Um, so I rented from uh, Quinn Cap when they would rent to me, United Rentals. Oh. Uh, there was a rental center here that was a local one that got bought out by Sunbelt, kind of a larger. Uh, I'm sure you know who they are with their lime green, everything. But uh, mm-hmm. rented from them. And uh, I ended up using a hand feed wood chipper for all my projects. And then I was just obsessed with Google and YouTube. And I found a guy in, in the greater LA area that had a bunch of grinders. And I reached out to him and kind of told him my story. I had a fallen out an old boss, you know, blah, blah, blah. Turns out he knew my old boss. They had a strong hatred for each other. Good. And the guy's like, sick, man. Uh, I want to help you out. That'd be cool. You want to rent some stuff? I was like, yeah, for sure. So he started renting me a grinder. And then uh, that's kind of, I used his for three, four years, maybe five. And then uh, finally kind of started getting enough name and workload that was able to to take a stab and, and buy the first one. So that was a, that was a pretty big move. It's it's funny how you can go rent an excavator before you can technically rent a car. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, and they'll truck it to you, drop it off, whatever. What do you want? Yeah. Three tractors? Sure. Cool. You got it. And, yeah. and don't sign the paperwork until, you know, a driver shows up and just chicken scratch on it and good to go. Oh, it's wild. Yeah. Well, when I bought a machine, yeah. we've rented equipment too, but when I bought a machine, I'm like, are you guys going to need me to pay for this at some point? Like, they're, they're just like, here's your machine. And I'm sitting around like, like, do I need to sign something for it? Or are you going to take my money? Like how, do you, this is really how you guys do it. And it's, it is the easiest process in the world. And yet you go try to buy a $13,000 used Nissan Altima. And it is a full day of paperwork and banking and all kinds of rules before they would ever even think about giving you the key. And then if you go to rent a Nissan Altima, no, 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 no. You can't be less than 25 years old. It, it it doesn't make any sense yep. at all. But here's your half million dollar excavator. No questions asked. For sure. Do go do whatever you want. Yeah, with go it. take it and do whatever you want with it. We're not going to come check on you. You know, no worries. Just call us when you're done. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They don't even ask you what you're cool. using the rented machine for. They're just like, oh, okay. Oh. You need an excavator, or not even like, hey, do you know how to check the oil? No. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Do you know how to grease it? Nope. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. Oh. That's All why right. you, you don't cool. buy rental machines at auction. You got to be careful of those. Yeah. Use the equipment, uh, slippery slope for sure. Mm. Um, so you, you, did you start out in the contracting space? Were you clearing land then if you had a chipper? So I was clearing land, grading people's roads, putting in drain lines, digging trenches for pipes, stacking rock up, boarding rock. I mean, it was literally spreading mulch. If someone had a job and was like, Hey man, can you come look at it? For sure. Absolutely. I'm, I'm all in. It was kind of anything and everything I could do to stay busy. Um, and then, uh, as time grew on and I kind of started getting more work geared towards land clearing and tree removal. And I kind of was buying attachment here for a skid steer. Cause I could buy the attachment, rent someone's skid steer. Cool. Mm-hmm. Kind of play it like that. I kind of realized, okay, I'm, I'm getting too specialized to have these attachments, this equipment fitting to go rent a mini excavator to dig 6,000 feet of trench water for water line for this guy. Like it, it doesn't work like that anymore. So, um, actually now one of my biggest clients, I actually had to flake on him last minute when I was like 20 years old and he was pretty pissed, but we got over it and things are all good. Now I do all this grinding work and whatnot, but, uh, that was kind of when I really realized like I cannot park all of my specialized grinding stuff to go, dig a trench for a hundred bucks an hour. 
What doesn't work? Oh, uh, what's the need for all the land clearing out there? Because it's not. Is it that dense? Um. So, no. Uh, we're pretty developed on all the areas that you can develop here. So we're, there's not a whole lot of clearing for new development unless it's ag land coming out. So tree crops have a life cycle to get rotated, similar like what uh, Josh McCahill is talking about on your mm-hmm. other podcast. Yeah. So a lot of times we're rotating crops out. Um, we'll clear out old trees for you know new homes, like we're going to be doing down with probably for turf to do some utilities and whatnot but uh we do that we do a lot of golf course renovation projects so that those are always pretty fun um and then we do a lot of uh wildfire and natural disaster cleanup and mitigation work so that's Mm. probably one of our bigger sectors of work is is all that stuff so um i think we just finished up our last fire cleanup from a fire that happened three years ago um and that it's kept us busy for three years cleaning up after that one yeah i I visited, I visited that project shortly after it had happened. The fire, like Malibu area, is that the one? Mm-hmm. Like the big uh, one that came so through. So we did ago? some there. Yeah, ripped. You know, just straight through Malibu in one night or something. Yeah, it was gnarly. It was. Yeah, it that was that was an interesting one. Yeah, the it w- it was so weird because it it ripped through Malibu, but then a lot of the damage was caused by the embers falling on houses. So it was like you drive down this neighborhood yep. street, these huge houses, and you'd have nothing going on. And then all of a sudden, burned house, huge mansion up on the hill overlooking the Pacific Ocean, completely burned out. And then the next one's perfectly fine. And then the next one's completely burned out. There was no rhyme or reason to what houses and what things were damaged. It was, it was completely, completely random. Oh yeah, and it's re- it really is something you you can't wrap your head around until you see it the first time. You go, "What happened here?" Mm-hmm. And it's it's the craziest thing. So yeah, we we've done a lot of uh, natural disaster cleanup. Uh, there was a big debris flow two years ago in Montecito. Oh yeah, took out. I don't know if you ever heard about that one, but that was a big one. That one kept us busy for a long time. How do you get on? Long time. How do you get on an emergency job like that? Who who pays you? How do you bid it? Uh, so we did certain sec- sectors were for a county that we work for. Others were for cities. Um, certain sectors of it were for Caltrans. So that was a super fun one, navigating them and all their nuances. Um, to be honest, all of it happened because we're one of very few people with this, these grinders running around this area. There's only a couple other guys. So it happened I was doing a private project literally right on the side of the freeway. Our, our phone numbers on the machine and on a Sunday morning I got a phone call from someone like hey will you rent this thing to me like no I, I don't I don't rent it but we're for hire like who, can I ask who you are oh I'm so-and-so and I'm the director of Caltrans in this region and we have a lot of work oh, oh okay cool well, let's figure it out and it just kind of snowballed from there and then uh yeah I guess I don't know just to be honest, I've, I've never advertised for it. It all kind of came organically. And it was one of those things I was reflecting on uh, last year. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Like that it just happened like that. So is the, um, the grinder, is it a tub grinder or kind of grinder? Is it? It's, it's a horizontal grinder. Um, so it's made by Peterson Pacific, uh, now an Aztec company mm. uh, up in Oregon. Um, it's pretty, pretty good size weighs just about a hundred thousand pounds, thousand horsepower. Um, yeah, it eats a lot of stuff, including itself. So, so yeah, they're terrible to maintain, but 
the way it works is you basically feed trees in one end with a excavator or something like that, and then it shoots yeah. it out the other end in chips. Yeah, out you know a conveyor belt hanging off the back and stacks up a big nice pile of mulch and chips, and then uh, those go through to various different sectors. Ag just kind of mix them on the ground. We do a lot of work for municipalities and uh, waste handlers, and they actually process it back into landscape products. So we do a lot of that stuff. Um, we don't do too much hog fuel for cogen plants or anything like that. It's mostly landscape product or just waste reduction that gets left on top of the ground as ground cover. So, um, but yeah, pre- pretty crude process. Feed it in, and out comes mulch. They uh, in like the east, for example, when it's where it's really wet, you can just burn everything, which is the preferred method. But California, they don't really allow you to burn anymore, do they? Uh, so Central Valley, where um, kind of probably most of the media on Instagram or whatnot is about these grinders. Yeah, they're actually outlawing burning. Um, is you can still do it here on the coast, but it's increasingly difficult. They don't like to write the permits. The neighbors freak mm-hmm. out. Um, there's a huge lag time. You got to let the crop dry out. You know, so it's it's easier and usually cheaper when you look at what the land value is to have it sitting there idle until you can burn all this crap. It's it's usually cheaper. Just grind it, get on with the project, get moving. So, so do you do you, um, do, you do a lot of farming? A yeah, lot, a lot of tree removal. Tons, tons of it. Yeah. I don't know how to quantify it really. Most of our work is looked at in terms of the acre in scale. Um, but if we had to guesstimate how many cubic yards of mulch we produce on average annually, it's probably right around 300,000 yards Damn. annually. Uh, maybe, maybe more, maybe less depending. And that's just with the grinder. We've got a fleet of uh, forestry mulchers as well running around. And that's not really a quantifiable amount of mulch that they spit out, spit out um, just kind of clears it and leaves the crap scattered everywhere. So the, so the forestry mulcher, like on skid steers and excavators? Uh, skid steer, uh, feller bunchers, and then uh, a dedicated self-propelled Italian monstrosity called a Prime Tech. Dang. So um, we have a fleet of very unique equipment for the area we are with the growth rate of vegetation, but uh, it helps keeps us kind of in the eye of everybody else. That's expensive stuff. Very. The the grinder, I just got a quote for a new one. They jumped up. Uh, they're sitting right about one, 1. 1.2 to 1.25 right now. Um, you know what excavators are going for, and then you add on the niche attachments after them, and those are usually between 40 and 100. Um, forestry mulchers, 200, 300 up from there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an expensive game with, as you put, they're maintenance intensive. Um, and a lot of people kind of think it's a crude, shouldn't cost what it costs. And just, you just drop a tree in there and out comes mulch. What's the big deal? Yeah. So, uh, but once you get this equipment, it forms a competitive advantage. Cause like you said, not many people have the equipment and you can't just go rent a grinder. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they advertise them for rent online. And then, you know, when you start calling, they kind of feel you out and, if they don't know who you are, they're not going to rent it to you. I mean, a lot of times it's easier for them to refer a grinding contractor, help, help that guy build his business. He'll buy another machine. Everybody's happy. Um, they're not getting a rental unit beat up, but yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, you get a definite competitive advantage by owning the unique equipment because the pool of people they can pull from to bid on these jobs. I mean, when I go to a job walk, very rarely do they have everyone there at the same time, but I can almost guarantee who's bidding on the job. 
and how we're going to stack up in terms of competitiveness on the pricing, the quality, and then you can kind of feel out the customer and figure out what are they looking for? Are they just looking for bottom line, the cheapest, dirtiest, or do they want efficiency? And is there specs that have to be met, stuff like that? And uh, you can usually figure out who's going to get weeded out first. And in all reality, I think I'm bidding against the same five people every project. When, what kind of projects are you most competitive at? So very niche. Uh, we're most competitive in the ag interface. So orchard removal um, and ag development, just because we kind of have a strong understanding of the process from start to finish. So we can help that grower, producer, organization get their project streamlined and done faster because we understand what's going on before us and after us. And we can help implement our procedures to stay out of their way and facilitate things faster versus someone who maybe doesn't quite have the in-depth knowledge of the agriculture and, and they just are, are there kind of in the single track mind to do their job and screw it. I'm, I just, I have to do this, get out of my way and we're out of here. Yeah. So it's, that's really helped us build another competitive advantage. Yeah. Within, within ag and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the priority is you want to get the previous crop out of the way cleanly so that you can bring the next crop in as quickly as you possibly can, because there's a, a window that you need to grow the damn thing before it can even produce. So time is really of the essence. And then you're working with seasonality and weather as well. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, an avocado tree, by the time you plant it, you're looking at about three to four years before you pick any fruit worth sending to market off of it. Dang. Um, so, and we don't consider you're at full peak commercial production until between year 10 and 12. So you're carrying that for a long time. That's nuts. Because you, I mean, you really have to plan ahead and hope that avocados are selling for a lot of money in ten years. For sure. Um, so we've, I, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, put myself in a position where I ran for a seat on the House Avocado Board. So it's comprised of uh, producers and importers from around the U.S. and internationally, which is super cool. We see all the data from where all the fruit grown globally goes to different markets. We've seen the per capita consumption in the U.S. explode like from 2.1 pounds per capita to over 8 point something in a short 15 to 16 year cycle. I mean, we've seen growth in that commodity like no other produce category. So it's and we haven't even reached what we think the ceiling of consumption has been. Yeah, I feel like avocado toast is only only going up from here. What so you're on? You said you're on the avocado board. What the hell is an avocado board? The half avocado board, correct. What, is that, what yeah. does that do? So our whole goal on that board is to increase consumption of avocados in the United States. Um, so all of the, no, I don't want to say all, but most of the health and science information related to avocados and the benefits have been sponsored by the House Avocado Board. Um, we also do a lot of other studies in terms of volumes and data analysis for the commodity. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's cool. It's a little dry. It, it can be a little boring. I'm not going to lie. Board meetings are not my idea of where I thought my career would go. But uh, it's, it's pretty important to donate that time back to an industry that's given so much mm -hmm. to me and hopefully help keep it growing and uh, yeah, get more money per pound. So are you still involved in the family farming business or are you completely off on your own in your own contracting world? 
Um, so a little bit of both. So um, we actually ended up merging the contracting business with the farming business about seven years ago. Um, I kind of realized that the business I was getting into and contracting, it can eat as much money as you can possibly throw at it. And then it'll keep looking for more. Um, my dad was running a small farm management business. It was him. He was working seven days a week, had a small team of four or five guys. Um, and he always told me, you know, if you want to take over the business, you got to find your own spot. You know, there's not room for you here right now. So my way of making that spot was merging with the contracting. Um, and then I was maybe stupid enough to start a trucking business with a good buddy of mine about three years ago here in California. Um, and that has absolutely been uh, a steep learning curve for both of us. Uh, it's been fun, but uh, boy, that's been tough. Was it? So, um, yeah, so that's a whole separate like a company. Like trucking business primarily for yourself with the contracting business or just trucks for hire for anybody? Uh, so actually, we do zero trucking for our contracting business. Funny enough, we don't haul equipment. Um, all we haul is fresh produce from field to the packing houses. Um, and that's, that's all we do. We're hired out by the, by the people that buy the fruit from the farmer and we're responsible for getting it out of the field and to wherever they tell us. What? So, um, on the, on the trees that you clear for farming, I'm just hopping around over cause I'm so curious. What, uh, what kind of trees do you typically clear, uh, clear in your area? Is it mostly avocado um, or is it a lot of nut? Most, mostly. Oh, citrus too. Um, actually, no nuts over here. Uh, yeah, so it's mostly citrus and avocado. So all the nuts are like Central Valley. Citrus and avocado. Yeah, our land, I don't want to say our land value is too high, but it kind of is. I mean, the average price per acre over here is running about $100,000 just for bare farmland um, upwards from there. And then uh, we have not quite as much flat ground as Central Valley. Nuts, the, just the way their cultural practices requires flat ground for harvesting and maintenance and i mean we have stuff where stuff's growing on the side of a mountain and guys have ropes tied off you know to pick the fruit and whatnot so it's uh it's a whole different world so what here. kind of equipment do you typically use to put the trees uh excavators bulldozers wheel loaders um get sears of the rates to clean up anything yeah you got it anything but that's, it's the most common. I mean, it's, it's pretty similar to stuff you'd probably see across the, the U.S., just, you know, maybe slightly, slightly different mm -hmm. utilization of the equipment. When I visited Josh two years ago now, maybe, I don't know when it was, I, he let me clear some orange trees with his excavator. I think it was a 336. It was a 330, 336. Yep. And it was yep. a really, really good time because they're, they're, they're not very hard to knock over. You just kind of grab it and he has a thumb on there. You just grab the tree and you plop it on the ground. And then he has a loader and comes and scoops them, piles them all up. And then they grind them or burn it and you're in business. It's pretty simple to clear a, I mean, it's not simple. but And, and you really can't mess it up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's it's pretty simple. How, how are you going to mess it up? Well, you know. It, yeah, I you're, guess. You're going to not. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, what he said was you could potentially. Like shittier contractors will just get the tree out, but then we'll leave some of the root ball there. And that causes a little bit of a problem down the yep. road. Yep. Yeah. It just is another step, adds an expense to the to the landowner, farmer, whatnot. So I mean there's ways you can do it 
messy, you know, sloppy, whatnot. But for the most part, I mean, it's, I had one guy working for me for a little while and we're, we're always tend to be super busy and we had some overtime. So I said, Hey, you want to work Saturday? So he said, yeah, for sure. I said, okay, cool. So we trained him and said, Hey, I'm not going to be here. I'm going out of town, but you're good. You're comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I know what to do. But I came back and like brand new 329 we bought was all just super bitching, perfect engine door smashed in counterweight scratched up. And I'm like, so what happened? He's like, Oh, well the trees were in the way. I'm like, dude, we're getting paid to take yeah. the trees out. There's you're in a 329, like pick the tree up and move it. Well, there's zero excuse here. Like this, I don't think this is going to work out, man. Like, come on. The, there's zero reason that tree was in your it's, way. It's the only, yeah. Only so, opportunity in which you can yeah. just remove all the trees around you. So there, nothing's in your way anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Zero obstruction. Nothing like move it. You're, you're getting paid to move it. I don't so see do the you, does the, does the contracting business bid work outside of the farming business or does it just serve the farming business now that it's merged with it? No. So we, we bid work outside the farming business. Um, we've done a lot of, like I said, golf course work. So every so often high end country clubs will go through a mm -hmm. full golf course renovation. They change elevations, they change slopes. They do, they change the tree lines, they change the sand traps, they change the water features. Um, so we've done a fair amount of that work down in the Los Angeles area. Um, Beverly Hills is probably one of the most kind of weird ones that we popped up at, but, uh, that was a cool one. So we bid, we bid large projects like that. Um, we bid fire mitigation, we bid waste processing contracts that are paid by the ton for municipalities, waste handlers, county transfer stations, whatnot, uh, private waste handlers. So it's, uh, if there's a job that we think we can do, we're we're gonna bid it for sure. There's there's no reason the, not to. The golf course is pretty unique. I I grew up on a golf course where house backed up to the golf course, which was like our playground. It was sick. Uh, because you had your 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 backyard, but then you had your, your backyard, which was a whole golf course. And they came through and remodeled <laughs> the golf course. Yeah. It was years ago now. But that was one of the first steps is they just came through with an excavator and whacked over all of the enormous pine trees that had been growing for decades because they were going to more of like a grassy feel, like a tall natural grass and make it a little bit more Arizona-y rather than, oh, it's this pine tropical oasis in the middle of the desert, which I think is realistic. But that was the first thing they did was just whack over all the trees. And I guess you have to do something with the trees. Yeah. Knock everything down. It's a oh, yeah, pretty 100%. sick business. Yeah. So that was a, that was a really cool project. Uh, I have no complaints. I mean, some days I do for sure, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's unique. It's fun. It's challenging. It's, uh, not a lot of people get to do it and we have some, some cool toys and it's kind of some of the stuff you reflect on at the end of the day. Like I was pulling out of the golf course one night and I stopped and I had to go back and check something and it's like, wow, I'm getting paid to just come in here and like tear all this shit up yeah, for a living destroy it's, it's a golf course cool. like, right on they're yeah. paying me for this that's fantastic yeah like how often are you going to get to run your 320 across the green and like take a photo of it and then knock <laughs> a giant tree down over on it and you know drag a tree across it and dug a big borrow pit it, it was a fun project that was I probably one of my favorite ones phoenix there was a golf course getting basically just removed redeveloped in a commercial property um because a certain university is somewhat overextended themselves financially and needs money all the time and uh so they were they were working on the first <laughs> nine and then the back nine was still untouched so it was just like old golf course and it was funny they brought out 
like a bucket of golf balls, old golf balls, and you set up on the tee box and you're just kind of screwing off on a golf course, then you can do whatever you want to the golf course because it's about to get destroyed. So it is like the perfect, perfect dude scenario of which you have this whole golf course to mess around on. No one cares. You can do whatever the hell you please because it's about to get completely destroyed. Oh, yeah. I mean, we did one project right when COVID hit is kind of when a lot of golf courses had to shut down. And they said, uh, shoot, we can do some deferred maintenance. So we got a call from another one down in L.A. and said, hey, we have this giant drainage channel flows 24-7, runs through the middle, and uh, we want to clean it out and reshape it and do all this stuff. Okay, cool. So we went down. We threw a bid on it. We ended up getting awarded the project. And uh, we showed up to work. And, like, they thought we were going to come in with, like, wheelbarrows and shovels and whatnot and i showed up i had a 745 rock truck uh 320 some skid steers and like the whole nine yards and like i'll never forget the grounds guys were working and a 745 just fifth gear full blast like i don't know what is that like 25 30 miles an hour or something just right across the golf course and i was like that's sick right across the green like no rule just it was pretty sick um with so yeah, pretty yeah, rare that's, opportunity that's there. Fun. With with all of the 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 equipment and everything, I mean, with a grinder being one point two million, uh, is is all of that financed? How have you been able to to acquire all that equipment from a financial standpoint? Yeah, so um, Cat Financial will probably even give my dog a loan to buy a tractor if my dog went in there and <laughs> like stamped his paw on the paper. It's pretty easy. Um, so Cat Financial has been a huge uh, huge contributor to us stacking up this equipment. Um, and then a lot of it's just been relationships, you know, I mean, we got a, a good relationship going with the grinder manufacturer. They offer in-house financing. Um, they're willing to take a chance on us and they've been great. And then, uh, we have a couple other local lenders. So yeah, pretty much everything finance, you know, we don't have buckets of cash to go buy this stuff paid in full on the, on the dot. And you know, why, why extend yourself to that point anyways? I mean, you'd have to be pretty pretty hefty in the bank account to be able to swing that one. So, um, yeah, we've, we've just leveraged finances and made it happen day by day and take care of our stuff. We have a full-time mechanic in the fleet and a nice service truck runs around and takes care of everything I'd break and everyone else. And, uh, yeah. The um, has going. your age been a barrier over the past few years? I mean, starting out when you're 19, that's pretty damn young. Yeah, so that was a huge one. Um, obviously, it gets less and less as time goes on. Um, especially, I have a lot of repeat customers. So kind of once I showed them I'll do the work, yeah. they kept giving me a chance. Um, at first, it, it was a huge barrier. Um, you know, I mean, and I looking back, I can't necessarily blame them. You know, a 19-year-old kid saying, yeah, for sure, I'll, I'll take down your orchard and all these, you know, these 58, 120-foot-tall eucalyptus trees, and I won't destroy everything. And yeah, this, this is what it'll cost. But uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I see, I had one big golf course project come up and they ended up awarding it to probably my fiercest competitor. And actually, I, I admire the business the guy has. I mean, he's built, he's got three or four of these grinders, a couple chippers, like just a phenomenal business. He's very good at what he does. And uh, they awarded it to him. They just felt like his experience was better and, and gave them a little bit of peace of mind. And okay, cool. No worries. I lost, I lost. But I was like, you know, to be one of the only two people bidding that project and that's who I'm bidding against kind of is, is was a cool moment um, that it was actually my girlfriend pointed out to me. She's like, yeah, you know, instead of being so down that you lost the project, you should be stoked that you even get to play 
the game at that level at such a young age. Like if you're playing it at this age, Mm -hmm. where will you be in 15 years? So that's a pretty good outlook to keep reminding myself of when, uh, when the age barrier does, does get in the way is, you know, Hey, I'm still playing the game and I'm being competitive and, and growing at an enormous rate. What what does your workforce look like? How many people do you have and what, what are their ages typically? So we have, uh, right now we're sitting at 23 people on the payroll. Um, we, the next youngest guy is, uh, 35 years old. So I'm junior to everybody by six years at a minimum. Um, and then it just keeps going up from there. We've got a couple guys in their mid to late thirties, a couple in their forties, quite a few in their fifties. And, uh, I think a couple guys are in their sixties. So we've, I mean, I'm, I'm younger for sure. So, I mean, I always try to get there before everyone and the gate has to get locked. I'll lock the gate on the way out and, you know, try and try and uh, put that extra effort in and, and it's gone a long way. I mean, I'm sure, you know, some of the guys will say something at night or whatever, but for the most part, we've got a pretty good crew and we all work together and we have a saying that no one's too good to do any job here in the company. Um, doesn't matter if it's greasing a tractor or if it's picking up trash or whatnot. I mean, you'll see me walking around the yard, picking up nails. If I mm-hmm. walk by a trash, see it, pick it up, grab it. Doesn't matter if it's our yard or a job site. That's, that's, yeah. that's what we do. So. Oh, I think that yeah, goes a long way. There's a lot of culture. young people in the industry that are like, so what do I need to do? And it's really as simple as just working really, really, really hard. Because if you do that, you earn everybody's respect and then yep. you're in, man. It's, 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 it's so, it's not as simple as it seems because working hard is hard and doing it consistently is hard. But that's all you have to do is just work hard. And everybody's like, oh, okay. So this kid's okay. It's hard, but so if you think about it, it's like, what does it consist of? Okay, it consists of waking up at a decent time every morning. You might as well pack your lunch so that you can guarantee that your lunch will never run long. Have all your water, your snacks, your juice, your whatever you need to feel comfortable through the day. Take all that shit to work. All of it. Have it in your car, your truck, whatever. No one's ever going to really seriously laugh at you for showing up with a gallon or two gallons of water, right? And then it's doing the work. And, and I don't expect someone to go hundred miles an hour all day. I'd rather have someone be slow, safe, and consistent than some guy that's going to work really hard, really fast for 20 minutes, and then sit there for 30, catch his breath. Like it's, so, I mean, I, I really don't think it's as complicated as people say it is. I think it's a lot of people looking for an excuse, you know, I mean, I get calls from people all the time. Hey, I want to come work. Cool. Come work. And then, you know, they'll come out for a couple of days and then, oh, I got to do this at two o'clock. And then it's like every day starts to be an excuse. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's not going to work. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. But the, I mean, that's the state of a lot of the industry yeah. right now, which is why yeah. if you are just consistent and work hard, you stand out almost immediately nowadays. Like that used to be the norm. That used to be the standard. Now it's not. So if you can make that your standard, you know, now you stand out. hundred percent guaranteed. And and if you work hard, there is not one company right now anywhere that wouldn't pick you up and, and treat you well and pay you fairly. And if they don't, there's opportunity right for the picking everywhere. You can go, if you're a, a qualified person that works hard and cares, yeah. you will get That's a job like, anywhere. No, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't either. Right and I see a lot of people. And yeah, if your company sucks and they're treating you like garbage, go somewhere else. Like, it's not that risky right now. Everybody's hiring. Everybody needs help. So just yeah. go somewhere else. It's 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 not that simple, but it is that simple. For sure. It, yeah. No yeah. one I, no I, one I will, agree. 
will make fun of you bringing a gallon or two of water, but they probably will make fun of you for eating an avocado on a job site. Um, not out there. You'd be surprised. I mean, I you uh, there's yeah, days yeah. I take well, half an avocado, and that's yeah. Tennessee, if I on your job site, on job site, I'd for sure get shit. Someone gave me shit for. Yeah. I don't know. I I eat I eat well. I eat healthy, and uh, people will make fun of me for it. And I'm like, do you understand yeah. what you're making fun of me for? You're making fun of me for being healthy. how did how how what i get the same thing too i mean guys bring yeah guys will you know they'll run and get a cheeseburger at the gas station or something right and they come back and it's like soda chips cheeseburger cookies and whatnot and i'll have a some chicken and a salad or you know some vegetables or something and a protein and and immediately they go, oh, you know, that's how you stay small and skinny. Like, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, uh, and the point, uh, wh- where are we going to this? You know, it's like, uh, yeah, that's like, does, why you're does, not. I'm sorry. Like, does, does being 80 pounds overweight help do the job more effectively? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, do you, is your quality of life improved or like, what's the deal here? Uh, like, I, I feel pretty good, it, you know? So. Yeah, um, no, I, I eat pretty that's, healthy. It's as well, it's so. pretty interesting what you guys have going on. How far? It's it's a little ways from slow, isn't it? It's a little bit of a drive. We're probably about yeah. an hour and a half. Yeah, south. Yeah, it's, be, it's a pretty decent little haul. Um, we don't have anything going on up there right now. We we service a pretty large territory. I mean, we've gone as far up as Monterey and as far south as the Mexico border. Um, we usually stay in kind of like a three county radius, but we. We've okay. traveled for so good size projects. Really, anyway. so, um, really? We've looked at stuff out of state as well. We looked at one in Klamath Falls, Oregon last fall. And we almost we almost so got it. Is the so future or cool. you guys just, hey, if we can bid it, if we can do it, let's go for it. Is it continuing to grow from here? I kind of live by the philosophy that if you're not growing, you're dying. So doesn't mean you, you know, have to buy a new tractor every day, every week, every month or whatnot. But if you're not in it wholeheartedly to grow and strive for perfection which will never be achieved you're always striving to be better then why are you in the business right i mean it's it's pretty simple you you cannot afford to have all this equipment and sit there and say okay i'm good i have two excavators and a grinder and three guys that work for me and i'm good because what you've then done is put a ceiling on yourself but you put a ceiling on your staff and it's human nature to strive to want more So if you're not going to give your guys or gals a place to grow and try to help them grow with you, then they're eventually going to get bored. They're going to leave and go to someone that will give them the opportunity to grow. And that guy will end up eating your lunch in a couple of years, a decade, a couple of months, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I mean, you've always got to be. You used to be able to get away with not growing, actually. And and because people were just happy. Hey, just give me a steady paycheck and I'm good to go. Uh, but now the world is so big, people see all of the opportunity out there. So there's always better opportunities. So if they're not getting fed that constant growth, which I think is aligned with human nature quite nicely, they're going to go elsewhere now because they just have more opportunity than they've ever had before. Everything's switched in the past 15, 20 years as media has picked up, as social media has picked up. And that's only accelerating from here. So if you're not growing, if you're not providing endless opportunity as a business, you're it, it's just not, it, it's not going to work very well. You have to grow in this day and age. No. 
And and if you look at how the tax basis, the government regulations that are on businesses, they essentially force your hand one of two ways. You're going to grow every year because you're going to need to buy assets to depreciate and have write-offs, or you are going to pay Uncle Sam mm -hmm. a fat check every year in taxes. So what do you want to do? Do you want to buy another skid steer? Or do you want to pay Uncle Sam 80 grand? I'll buy another tractor for sure. But then once yep. you buy the tractor, now you need to run it. Okay, cool. You're going to hire an operator. Now you need to go find more work. So, I mean, I think it's great. I think it makes sense. But uh, I think that's how it should be. I, I don't think business was meant to ever stagnate in this environment. You know, I mean, a boutique shop. Yeah, sure. It's, you know, probably harder to grow that. But in contracting, yeah, I mean, you're, you're always looking for the next project, the next bigger project. Mm -hmm when you have a project, another project, you know, I mean, that's just the nature of the world. So yeah, our, our goal is to grow in a couple of different sectors. I mean, we want to get into a, our own recycling center, process, process waste and landscape products, uh, continue land clearing and, and grow that sector. And who knows where that'll take us. So that's kind of the, that's the immediate future is, is working on some organics recycling centers and uh, um, keep going from uh, there. Are California avocados better than Mexico, yeah. Mexico avocados. So, uh, tough question. Uh, my personal belief is yes. Um, however, I think uh, part of that's due to time in transit. I mean, it's fresh produce is always better than produce that's sat on a boat or in a truck. Um, I do think that our regulations on farming here are more stringent, which leads to better practices, which is better fruit. Um, so I, I do believe it's worth a premium for sure. Noted. All right. Well, um yeah, yeah. dude that, i'll I'll send a box your way and you can tell me was all day long yeah they would they'd for sure get eaten um well cool well i uh thanks for, for sure thanks for coming on i'm sorry about again the technical difficulties these remote podcasts damn damn them uh but yeah thanks for making some time and hopefully i'll be able to get out and see you guys one of these days because i would love to help rip out some trees that's just a blast yeah, go for it, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast, and uh, we'll be sure to get a box out there in Nashville for you.